Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Tuesday, January 21st. I am Aranza Loizaga, and these are today's headlines. As the Senate trial of President Trump kicks off, Republicans hoping to fast-track the proceedings while Democrats warn of a cover-up. Meanwhile, President Trump is in Davos, Switzerland, for the World Economic Forum, where he's been touting his economic record. And in Puerto Rico, dozens of demonstrators gather in front of the governor's mansion, demanding the governor's resignation after the discovery of unused hurricane supplies. This and much more today on You News, recorded live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin with a historic day in Washington as the impeachment trial against President Trump begins. Today, senators are debating on rules and amendments as the president's legal team prepares for the fight against his removal. Lorraine Cáceres has details on what's happening today and what's expected over the next few days. Today on the Hill, a debate over impeachment trial rules, House managers, Senate leaders and Trump's legal team voting before opening arguments can begin. This is going to be a complex trial with a lot of issues. Democrats on Monday night taking a first look on the plan Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has proposed for the trial. This is nothing like the process that was used in the Clinton trial uh, to begin with. And uh, this is, I think, most indicative. In the Clinton trial, both Senate leadership worked out a bipartisan proposal for how the trial would be conducted. That obviously has not happened here. Democrats are expected to submit a wide range of amendments to the rules before the vote on the resolution can happen. The biggest disagreement between Democrats and Republicans is allowing new evidence and testimony during the trial. At the moment, to call any witnesses, Democrats will have to sway at least four Republicans to vote with them for a majority. Any intelligent person knows that in any trial, whether it's for robbing a bank or for subverting the Constitution of the United States, the accusers, in this case the House of Representatives, bring in all the witnesses and all the evidence. The defenders can bring in all the evidence they want. That's how you have a trial. To be debating whether you should have the evidence admitted to be debating whether you should allow witnesses is to be debating whether you should have a cover-up by definition. We will require every senator to vote on whether there should be certain witnesses, whether there should be certain documents, and whether we should have the kind of unfair, stack-deck, Alice in Wonderland-type proceeding that McConnell has proposed. Lorraine Cáceres, U News. Thank you, Lorraine. A new CNN poll conducted by SSRS shows a slim majority of Americans think President Trump should be removed from office. Take a look. 51% of voters believe that the Senate should convict the president. 45% are against his conviction and removal. And 69% of those surveyed say the trial should include new witnesses who did not testify in the House impeachment inquiry. And several House Republicans will be helping President Trump in the U.S. Senate impeachment trial, but a source says they are not expected to speak on the Senate floor. Their roles instead appear to be largely ceremonial. The lawmakers will reportedly serve as outside advisors and surrogates for the president. House members have already been meeting regularly with Trump's lawyers to help them prepare for the floor arguments. 
Let's go to Frank Bowman. He's a law professor at the University of Missouri and visiting scholar at Georgetown Law School. Thank you for joining us, Professor. My pleasure. So what stands out to you from the rules laid out by Senate leader Mitch McConnell? And is this shaping up to be a fair trial? Well, the, the, the rules that uh, Mr. McConnell is proposing are um, really quite uh, revealing. I mean, the first thing you can tell about what his objectives are and how hurried this is going to be is that if you count out the days uh, on which things would occur under his rules, it just so happens that the whole thing would probably end up um, in a Senate vote, almost certainly to acquit, given this Republican majority, on the day before the State of the Union. I mean, the whole thing, the whole set of rules is stage managed so that uh, the Senate Republicans can acquit Trump the day before the State of the Union, and he can announce his exoneration that evening. Um, other parts of the rules that are obviously uh, you know, un unfortunate. Um, for example, the uh, rules say that the, the parties have to present their opening arguments um, over, a, over 24 hours for, for each uh, side, conducted on two days of 12 hours each. I mean, that's really silly. Uh, you know, it's obviously set up so that um, both the advocates and the senators will be exhausted uh, and the public is simply not going to be able to sit through 12 consecutive hours of this sort of thing. And the third and really critical point is that having to do with witnesses. Um, the witnesses' decision about making whether witnesses are to be called uh, won't be made until after these opening statements, after senators have submitted written questions. And then here's the tricky little bit in the McConnell rules. Um, there won't even be an open debate initially about whether or not to have uh, witnesses. Instead, it's set up so that um, the senators first have to vote without debate on the question of whether or not um, an order or, or a motion to, to introduce witnesses would even be in order. And Again, that, that vote has to be taken by the senators without any debate. So, in other words, McConnell is setting this up so that um, even, the, even the discussion about uh, whether to have witnesses essentially won't occur um, as long as 51 Republican senators uh, vote to rule that out of order. So It's pretty remarkable. Of course. And, you know, speaking of the rules, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer is introducing amendments to the rules today. And here's what he said. Let's listen. The first amendment I will offer will ask that the Senate subpoena White House documents related to the charges against the president. Those documents include the records of meetings and calls between President Trump and the president of Ukraine, as well as those records created or received by Mr. Mulvaney, Mr. Bolton, Mr. Blair, and other White House personnel about the decision to hold and release the military assistance to Ukraine. So, Professor Frank, how likely are these amendments to be approved and senators to get their hands on those documents? Well, sadly, I think the likelihood is very low. Um, as long as uh, Speaker McConnell can hold on to 51 votes, uh, that is to say uh, 51 of the 53 Republicans who sit in the Senate, he can, he's going to be able to control what happens here. And uh, my guess, though we can't yet know, is that he wouldn't have proposed these rules unless he had at least 51 of, of his Republican colleagues on board.
So now, Professor Bowman, President Trump's legal team said the charges of obstruction of Congress and abuse of power are invalid because they don't accuse him of a crime. What's your reaction to that argument? Uh, there's no serious legal scholar, no serious student of, of impeachment in the last you know, couple of hundred years who believes that. Um, it's just not so. Um, and we can tell that because it was not so in the British Parliament from which we got our impeachment procedures and from which we got, we got the language, high crimes and misdemeanors. It's perfectly clear that at the time of the framing, the time of the founding of the Constitution, the framers of the Constitution uh, didn't mean for that to be the case. They actually repeatedly suggested various uh, reasons uh, for which uh, a president should be impeached that would plainly not be a criminal they were talking at the time uh, of the adoption of the impeachment provisions of the Constitution in 1787 about an impeachment that was going on over in England, uh, that of Warren Hastings. Uh, and it was perfectly clear that they wanted to make sure that our impeachment provisions covered the kinds of things for which Hastings was being impeached that summer in England. And Hastings was being impeached for abuse of power uh, in his role as uh, the governor general of Bengal. Uh, moreover, there have been multiple impeachments in American practice since 1787 that have involved charges um, that uh, do not amount to uh, the, the commission of crimes. It's a made-up argument. Nobody seriously believes it. Um, and they had to reach all the way down into the bottom of the barrel and get Alan Dershowitz to come out and make that argument. No other, no serious legal scholar would have done it. And frankly, even Dershowitz has to admit that he had exactly the different, exactly the opposite view 20 years ago. It's not a serious legal position. Thank you so much, Professor Frank Bowman, law professor at the University of Missouri. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. Meanwhile, President Trump is in Davos, Switzerland, for the World Economic Forum, a gathering of top businesses and political leaders. Pablo Gato has the details from Washington, D.C. Hello from Washington. President Trump is in the World Economic Forum in Switzerland, in Davos, where he gave a speech today. He basically said that, according to him, the America First approach was working for the United States and he recommended other countries to follow suit. He also said that the U.S. was experiencing an economic boom that benefited mainly the middle class. The Democrats says that this uh, is a very optimistic view of what is going on in the United States and there were also critical voices in Europe. One of them is Alberto Alemano. He's a professor of HEC Business School in Paris and he said that uh, the speech was an endless tedious and bombastic list of largely unsubstantiated claims that he hopes may secure him a second term. And all of this happens when the impeachment starts in the U.S. against President Trump. President Trump was hesitant about traveling uh, to Switzerland, but finally he decided to go. Some of his aides said that it would be better to stay here in response uh, from the White House to whatever uh, accusations were coming from the Democrats in the Capitol Hill. And others said that it was much better just to go into Switzerland and said that uh, the economy was working very well in the United States and then come back very quickly to Washington. President Trump is leaving Switzerland tomorrow and he will be back in the White House at 5 p.m. on Wednesday. That's all for the moment. Go back to you. Thank you, Pablo Gata, reporting from Washington, D.C. And President Trump also took the time to attack climate activists, calling them, quote, prophets of doom and said they were no better than fortune tellers who spread pessimism. 
And of course, now you're looking at images of President Trump and his French counterpart. They have apparently declared a truce to stop an escalating trade war. Monday, the White House said the president spoke with French President Emmanuel Macron. This after Trump threatened a new tariff increase on French goods such as wine, cheese and handbags. He made the threat in retaliation to France taxing the revenue of American tech firms such as Facebook and Google. While the White House did not confirm the president's decision to hold off on tariffs, Macron did. The French official said the two sides will hold off on potential tariffs until the end of the year. And alarmed by a deadly new twist in the nation's drug addiction crisis, the government will now allow states to use federal money earmarked for the opioid epidemic to help growing numbers of people struggling with meth and cocaine. The little-noticed change is buried in a massive spending bill passed by Congress late last year. Pressed by constituents and state officials, lawmakers of both parties and the Trump administration agreed to broaden the scope of a $1.5 billion grant program previously restricted to the opioid crisis. And now to Puerto Rico. There are people that are protesting, demonstrators demanding the governor's resignation after hurricane relief supplies from two years ago were discovered in multiple warehouses. This as the island is still recovering from several earthquakes. Carolina Sarasa has all the details. Puerto Ricans on the streets of San Juan Monday night, calling for the resignation of Governor Wanda Vasquez. This unrest comes days after supplies sent two years ago after Hurricane Maria were found in a warehouse on Puerto Rico's southern coast. Hours after the supplies were found, Vasquez fired Puerto Rican Emergency Management Director Carlos Acevedo. I received a directive from the governor of Puerto Rico to assume control of all the response efforts from the state, and that's what we call incident commander, and that's what I'm executing. Expired items are being disposed of, but everything else is being sent out to areas affected by last month's earthquakes. We are also in coordination with other municipalities because there are a lot of equipment here that can be utilized uh, and prepared for preparedness uh, in, uh, in preparation for the upcoming hurricane season. Dozens of aftershocks and tremors from December's earthquakes have damaged parts of Puerto Rico over the past few weeks. That's forced thousands of residents to seek temporary shelter. Fear knocked on my door, but I opened the door and I confronted it. You know, and I'm still alive. Carolina Sarasa, U News. It's a standoff between immigration and customs enforcement and the largest city in the United States, all because of New York City's sanctuary policies. ICE now doubling down and turning to new tactics to demand information on inmates the city is holding. Peggy Carranza has the details. Hugo Fuertes is cleaning the house of his mother, Maria, a 92-year-old woman brutally killed and raped, allegedly, by an undocumented immigrant from Guyana. A tragic case that prompted the escalation of the dispute between ICE and sanctuary cities like New York. 
Responsabilizo tanto a la ciudad como... I blame the city, immigration and the criminal who killed her, said Hugo. The defendant, Riz Khan, previously faced assault charges but was not handed over to ICE for deportation. The agency says it sent a detainer request. The NYPD says it didn't receive it. Most times, we don't even know the criminal has been released because these sanctuary jurisdictions won't even tell us. Federal authorities now are implementing a new tactic and issue subpoenas to Denver and New York that demand information on several inmates, including Ken. A spokesman for the mayor told us they are reviewing the subpoenas and Mayor Bill de Blasio tweeted, the morally bankrupt organization that tears families apart and puts innocent children in cages has zero right to tell us how to keep our city safe. According to the mayor's office, in order to comply with a detainer by ICE, a person must be convicted of one of 177 violent crimes. The sanctuary cities welcome immigrants with and without documents to make business, to pay taxes, to live a good life. That's basically what a sanctuary city is. It is not a city that protects criminals at all. On the contrary, whenever a crime is committed, an ICE requests to come in and pick up that person, they come in and they pick them up from the detention center. They pick them up sometimes in courts. Meanwhile, ICE might be considering issuing subpoenas to other sanctuary cities. In New York, Peggy Carranza, EU News. Intense clashes once again at the Guatemala-Mexico border Monday. Hundreds of migrants traveling in a caravan from Honduras waded across the river connecting the two countries and forced their entry into Mexico after Mexican officials informed the group they would not be permitted to move farther into the country. And as Jorge Hernandez explains, violence and chaos erupted. This is how thousands of Central American migrants reacted after waiting for days for Mexican authorities to let them cross into Mexico so they could continue their journey north toward the United States. In these images, large groups can be seen crossing the border river between Guatemala and Mexico. Once in Mexican territory, the situation got out of control. Entire families trying to escape from the Mexican National Guard who struggled to manage the situation. The migrants ran, pushing officers out of the way to avoid being stopped. We just wanted a permit to transit in peace, that's all. It's a risk, but we don't have a choice. People come from different situations, something has to be done. By 4 a.m., they met by the International Bridge in Tecunumán. Everything seemed peaceful. They prayed, sang the Honduran national anthem, and made a formal request to the Mexican government. We just want the transit permit. We want to see what can be offered by the Mexican authorities. But the Mexican authorities turned down their request. In response, almost immediately, they began to gather in a group to cross into Mexican territory. At this point, feeling desperation, they began throwing stones and other objects at the agents. The agents responded with tear gas and force, which led to some of the migrants getting injured. Where is your husband? He was attacked with a stone and he was doing nothing. We were coming in peace without violence. 
Meanwhile, the Mexican government made it clear in a bulletin that Mexican migration law no longer allows transitory migration and that everyone must submit to the new law that prohibits caravans crossing the country. In Chiapas, reported by Ivan Macias, this is Jorge Hernandez, U News. More of U News after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. U News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your news, your world, U News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. The epidemic of addictive vaping among youth is still a major concern, with e-cigarette devices by Juul continuing to surge in popularity among teens and young adults, according to new research. The number of Americans aged 15 to 34 who said they had at least tried one of the small, convenient Juul devices more than doubled between 2018 and 2019. And the number of current Juul users who said they used the device regularly at least 10 days out of the last 30 days rose to more than one-third during the same period, from about 26% to nearly 38%. The research was conducted by an anti-tobacco advocacy group, Truth Initiative. And researchers have discovered about 2 million Americans with heart disease have used marijuana, even though it's a suspected risk factor. There are few randomized controlled trials studying the association between marijuana and heart disease. However, data in 36 studies shows the top risk factors for heart attack are eating a heavy metal, using cocaine, and smoking marijuana. Some scientists believe smoking marijuana is just as dangerous for your heart as smoking regular cigarettes. And speaking of heart problems, if your body and mind are utterly exhausted, new research suggests you could be at higher risk for a potentially deadly heart flutter. A new study suggests those whose energy is always zapped may be at greater risk for atrial fibrillation, also called AFib or AF. According to the CDC, AFib was the underlying cause of death in more than 26,000 people in 2017. Now, the research published in the European Journal of Preventive Cardiology suggests chronic stress and exhaustion could be a key factor in developing the disease. And a new study indicates that commonly used drugs taken for other conditions may also be able to kill some kinds of cancer cells. Researchers examined the activity of more than 4,500 drugs across nearly 600 human cancer cells lines. They found 49 non-cancer drugs that selectively killed cancer cells. Since these findings were conducted in a lab and were on the cellular level, more research is needed to determine whether the drugs could actually treat cancer in humans. And seven chemicals commonly found in sunscreens can be absorbed into the bloodstream at levels exceeding safety thresholds after just one use. That's according to a study published Tuesday by the FDA. 
Researchers say further industry testing is needed to determine the safety and effects of the ingredients, especially with regular use. The FDA stressed the sun's link to cancer and aging is real, so people need to keep using sun protection. That can include mineral-based sunscreens, long-sleeve clothing, hats, sunglasses, and of course, staying in the shade. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.